Hi. <laughs> My name is Kent. I'm your speaker today. Mark was getting after me between class there and service and asking if I had several hours of material planned to throw at you today. And I said, no, Danny pretty well covered everything in our class this morning, so I'll just offer up a quick invitation and be done. We'll see about that. We'll be somewhere in the middle, I guess. It is a privilege to be before you and to our visitors. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're glad to see all of you. We, we expect to see our members each and every time that we assemble, but it's always wonderful when we have visitors and get to uh, be with us in our worship, serving God, trying to live as best we can and make it to heaven one day. <clears throat> the topic of our lesson today was, uh, does God hate? Um, our world today often misuses, misapplies the word hate. Um, they throw it around at will, and uh, they proclaim the people that do that proclaim to be people of tolerance in our society today, at least in our country. Things like LBGTQ, transgenderism, even thieves, murderers, those of BLM, that, the rioters of last year, people claim to be tolerant of these things that we should be accepting, and yet if a conservative-minded person were to say, well, wait a minute, now God has already legislated on that topic and he calls that sin, that's against his word, well, then, then you fall into the group of people in our country today that would be canceled or attacked in some way. The hypocritical hate comes out, the real hate, of people that stand up for truth. And when Isaiah, remember what the prophet said, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Woe unto them. There's a lot of pressure from our leaders, politicians, bureaucrats, and especially the media we have access to so much today to conform to the world and be accepting of things that the screaming minority claiming to be the majority, even if it was a majority, would say. Turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll start there, if you will. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul the writer there, but his attitude is God's attitude, and what God tells us to do is something different. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has seen fit to reveal to us His Word. There's no way we could know these things without revelation. And it's by revelation that they were written down. God had, as we studied in our class, God used the prophets, the apostles, to reveal his word, his law, the Old Testament law in the time of Moses that they lived under until the time of Christ. The law of Christ came. Now all people live under that law, whether you know it or not or whether you want to or not. The Bible tells us that the word of God is truth, John 17, 17. The Lord there in his prayer to the Father said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. That's what we talked about in class too. That is the standard, that is the law. 
We can't argue with God. We dare not argue with God. Whatever he legislates, religiously, morally, that is law. When something or someone like the tolerators of today start yelling, you're a bunch of haters or bigots or racists because you won't tolerate these wicked acts that we want to shove down your throats, basically. We turn to God's word and, and like Romans 3 and verse 4 where it says, let God be true, but every man a liar. Well, what does that mean? It means whenever a human being says something or delegates something or professes something to be truth, good or acceptable, and we turn to God's word that he gave us and his word says something else, then what does that mean to us? It means that God is right every single time and man is the one that makes the mistake. People like that judge us with uh, angry judgment, a faulty standard. Well, what's the faulty standard? Whatever they think is right for that day. Whatever they have read, some humanistic book, Marxism, or, or just ideas of their own mind of what's right and wrong. And that changes with the wind, doesn't it? That's where we have the love of God's word because we know it never changes, it never will. It will never fade away. It will never become old, outdated, or replaced. These people, in fact, judge us if we speak against homosexuality or transgenderism, any of the things that they want to profess is good if we say, no, God said that's sin. They judge us falsely. They judge us by their own standard, an incorrect standard, if you will, because we judge ourselves and the world by what God has said. That's the standard of truth. Now, we all use the word hate in various ways without actually it being sinful, I think. Connotations of words, you know, the, the actual, when, when you say lawyer, you might think shyster or crook, or if you say politician, you might think in your mind, well, liars, because many of them are. But there, there are different ways we can use the word hate, and it's really not sinful. I hate mosquitoes. I like to kill them if they land on me. If somebody's sick in the, in the congregation, we say, oh, I hate that. I just hate to hear that. Pick a vegetable. What do you hate? I hate such and such. I hate this weather. I hate my hair. I hate when you treat me that way. I hate spiders or snakes. Those are two common Top of the listers. Pick your own fill-in-the-blank of things that you might hate. We might dislike strongly many things in our lives, in our surroundings. We don't hate people. People have souls. God hates no one. In fact, His will, His wish is that all men come into a knowledge of the truth and are saved. 1 Timothy 2.4 Come unto repentance. Ultimately, as Christians and Bible students, we strive to follow the one true standard of right versus wrong, good versus evil. God has promised us, Titus 1 verse 2, that he cannot lie. So what he has given us is, in fact, truth. We base our lives on it. That's how we live. We base our souls on it because that's going to be permanent when judgment comes for us all. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 
Let us hear the, whole, the conclusion of the matter. The whole of man or the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's why we are here ultimately. There's no other reason. Joshua put it this way in Joshua 24, 15, to choose ye this day whom ye will serve. It's always a choice, isn't it, brethren? It's always a choice. You can either serve the one true God that's guiding you through the wilderness to the promised land, to Christ and beyond in his spiritual kingdom, or you can believe something else. You can believe a lie. Remember, though, that nobody's ever forced to commit sin. In James chapter 1, we study this in our, our Sunday class quite often. There are a few weeks in a row there. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no man or woman, when he is tempted, say, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God does not tempt us to make mistakes. How does it happen then? Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It's our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own gratifications. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. What is sin? 1 John 3, 4, sin is a transgression of the law. What law? The standard of truth that we'll all stand before and be judged by when that book is opened in the last day. John 12, 48. The Lord himself there saying that the words that he brought to this earth and gave to mankind are the very words that we're going to be judged by. So we have the blueprint to get to heaven. He that rejecteth me, the Lord said, and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. It's going to judge us as well. But we live in a different place in our attitudes, don't we? We live in a place of humility of realizing that we make mistakes and realizing that God doesn't. Present ourselves to Him in humility and say, Father, thank You for salvation. Thank You for the chance that You've given us to make it to heaven. Thank You for Christ. But also nobody's ever forced to obey Him either, are they? Mark 16, 16 says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. So we have a choice. God never forces anyone to do what he says, to accept the salvation and take advantage of it that Christ brought with him when he came to the earth and died for our sins. In Matthew chapter 7, the judgment scene is there. It's a pitiful scene for many. Matthew 7, 21, the Lord says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, just a verbal acknowledgement of Him as Lord or God is existing is enough, is it? Shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. We have a choice. We can either do it or we can choose something else. Something more pleasing to our ears more gratifying, more entertaining. There are religions like that out there, brethren. We have the choice. So when we're faced with the wickedness and the actual hate of the world, and there is real hate out there, 
We have to be consistent with God's word in order to please him. And that's why it's important for us to learn about the word hate. It's biblical usage, and so we can answer the question, does God hate? Well, if so, how? We can follow his example and be pleasing to him in our day-to-day lives. Vine's dictionary of Bible words or variations thereof, the word hate is translated three different Greek words in the New Testament in four different ways. 99% of them is from the Greek word misio. I don't know if I pronounced that right. It's okay. That's close enough. But it's a verb. It's a word of action. It's a feeling of maliciousness of one person towards another person or mutual animosity between the two. Turn to Matthew chapter 10, if you will. The Lord there speaking as well. And he says, Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, because of the gospel. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And in Matthew 5, 44, the Lord actually says we're supposed to love our enemies. Do good unto them that despitefully use you and curse you. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? For our enemies, for people that would wish us harm or even death. There are people in this world that would. And yet we pray for our enemies, don't we? We have to learn as Christians and servants of God that we can't hate people. We hate things that they do, but we don't hate people because every person has a soul. Every soul is precious. And every soul will stand before the Lord in judgment on that day. We also never take revenge, do we? Romans chapter 12 and verse 17. There are times when mankind together, living together, someone may take another person's life or do something to harm someone and it makes them so angry that they want to take revenge. The Bible says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. God will take vengeance in due time. This type of hate of another person, malicious hate of another person, is condemned in Scripture. Also, though, there's another word. It's an adjective. It's a word to describe something. Stugitas. As in hateful, hateful, full of hate, or to detest. It's the kind of hate that Paul had when he was named Saul. When the Lord's church was young. Remember the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7? Saul held the garments. And in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 and following, Saul proceeded to attack the Lord's people, dragging men and women to prison, putting them to death, putting his voice against them to be put to death. Saul, at that moment in time, later Paul, regretted those actions the rest of his life, didn't he? He thought about it all the time. He became a Christian and one of the most faithful Christians we can ever see or read about in Scripture. In fact, an apostle called by the Lord himself, appearing to him on the road to Damascus. But look at Acts chapter 26, just for a second. Concerning Saul at that moment, but Paul, and some of the things that he did. Acts chapter 26, verse 8. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? And teaching on the resurrection. 
I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. Many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. When they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them oft in every synagogue, compelled them to blaspheme. I take that to mean torture until they said what they wanted them to say. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange or various cities. Saul did a lot of damage to the Lord's church early on, thinking that he was doing right, and yet the Lord said, no, you need to make a change, Saul. And when Ananias was sent to him and told him, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, Saul rose and did that and he complied with the Lord's commands. He was saved and added to the kingdom that we studied about in class. And gave his life for the gospel, didn't he? This type of hate though, detest, hateful, persecution is also condemned in scripture. Hate's also used as a noun to be a hater a hater of a specific person, namely deity, God. Turn to Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, we're talking about the sins of the Gentiles here. Romans 2 deals with the sins of the Jews, and Romans 3 concludes that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, all of us need the gospel and salvation. But Romans 1.28 even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. A reprobate mind is a mind without judgment, void of judgment. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality or fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God. There it is. Those who practice things that are hateful or full of hate towards God. That's their attitude. The end of Romans chapter 1, notice the very end of that, verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, people like this, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, spiritual death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Birds of a feather. They revel in their sins. They hate God and what he stands for. They hate it because he tells them how to live. Impious, non-reverent, without love, without natural affection. But there's also authorized hate in Scripture, believe it or not. God does hate in two different ways. It's these ways that we strive to emulate and add to our own character so we can better serve Him. 1 John 4 and 8 says that God is love. That is His character, His nature, His makeup. But He does hate. And it's not a contradiction to His word or His loving character. Over in Revelation 2.15, just a verse to start out with there. The Lord there says, so 
hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, which thing I hate? The Lord hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, whatever that was. So the conclusion is, God hates evil. God hates sin. He doesn't hate people because we all have souls. His desire is that we all come to repentance and serve Him. But at the same time, in Matthew 7, 13, 14, the majority of humanity won't. There are repercussions of our choices that we make in our lives. As we said, 1 John 3, 4, sin is a violation of the law that God gave. Some people do it gleefully. Some people do it ignorantly. But God hates sin. Turn to Psalm 119. The alphabetic psalm, the longest, the longest of the book in the Bible as well. Psalm 119, 104. All the verses of Psalm 119 talk about the Lord's precept or His ordinances, His laws, His statutes in some way or another. And verse 104 there in Psalm 119 says, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. If God hates every false way, are we not to hate every false way? Well, what does that mean? What it means, a good example, is in Matthew chapter 15. The Lord there is dealing with the Pharisees. They are, in fact, presenting their traditions as Scripture. The Lord calls them on that, and verse 9 says, In vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's what's directly in context. But look at the Lord's answer in verse 13. Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. God's attitude towards sin and anything that is against His will shall be rooted up. He hates evil. Again, He doesn't hate people. He hates wicked actions. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. A list of things, in fact, that God hates Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, he that soweth discord among brethren, My son, keep the Father's commandment. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Here's what we should do. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Tie them about thy neck, figuratively. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. We discuss God's word continually, don't we? We can't remember everything. We don't remember everything. A week from now, if someone says, well, what did Kent preach on last week? Well, you might have to stand there and think for a minute, mightn't you? You may not even remember. We forget things. Short-term memory. That's why God set it up that we gather together 
and bring these things into remembrance to one another over and over and over again. Look back there in Matthew 15 when the Lord was dealing with the Pharisees. What he goes on to say about wickedness, about sin and evil itself. Verse 18. He's talking about things that proceed out of the mouth. Which come forth from the heart. Things we think up. Our mind thinks of things and then our mouth says it. Or our bodies do it. Our bodies, our voices, our tongues obey the mind. So whatsoever we think up, that's what comes out of us. That's the actions we do. You ever hear the, the saying that actions speak louder than words? Well, they do because anybody can say anything and profess to be anything. But when you watch their lives and their daily actions and you see something different then what do we say? Wow, that's a, there goes a hypocrite. They say one thing and do another. We have to avoid that as Christians, brethren, because if we lose our influence on other people, how will we ever teach anyone? Why would anyone ever believe us? But wickedness comes from the heart, so our thoughts, then our words. Wickedness can come from our own words. We will be judged for every idle word that we say. In other words, God can see everything about us all the time. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we say. He knows what we do. These are the acts of human beings that can be an abomination to God if it violates His law, His word for us. He hates every false way, and therefore we have to hate every false way. We hate our own sins. We hate the sins of our brethren. But we're also thankful, too, of Acts chapter 8. Once we become Christians and make mistakes, and we will, God had a plan for that as well. Acts 8, verse 20 through 22. Remember Simon the sorcerer? He was baptized in verse 13. He became a Christian. And then he wished and he desired to buy the power to lay on hands and pass God's power along to other people. He was called on that and said, you're once again in the bond of iniquity. You're in sin again. Repent and pray that God might forgive you the wickedness of your heart. Aren't we Christians supposed to be the light and salt of the world, of this earth? Seek opportunities to teach people. Today's enemy of Christ could be tomorrow's brother or sister, can't they? That's where we came from. We all came from sin, learned the truth and obeyed it and became God's children. Secondly, though, God hates in a way that is translated in the New Testament, the same Greek word, missio, that the, the hateful intentions of one person to another, that hateful conflict, meaning to love less. Romans chapter 9, if you will turn there, we'll read that verse in the Maybe a couple more here. Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. The Bible there says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Well, if you take that in literal form, God hated Esau. He didn't hate Esau. God hates no man, 1 Timothy 2, 4 and 5. It's his desire that all people come to a knowledge of the truth and are saved. 
Turn to Hebrews 12, 16. We see what manner of man Esau was according to God. Hebrews 12, 16. Esau's choices of life. Lest there be any fornicator or sexually perverse person, profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. That's what Esau thought about God's blessings. He didn't care. He sold it for a bowl of soup. He was a profane person according to God. His life choices were wicked. God hated his choices because he hates every false way. He loved Jacob's choices because they were what was in accordance with God's plan. We are to love less as well. Look at Matthew chapter 10 when it talks about our own service to God in the New Testament today. Matthew chapter 10 and beginning there in verse 36. The Lord says a man's foes shall be they of his own household. It's a scary thought, isn't it? He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. To go with that in Luke, and you don't have to turn there, I'll read this one. Luke chapter 12, or I'm sorry, 14 and verse 26. It says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You mean we have to hate our family, Lord? No, that's not what he means. The translation is to love less. We have to love even our own bodies, our own lives less than our service to God. That means putting our family second ourselves second and putting God first in everything he knows what we need he knows we need the things of life and he's glad for us to have them we just always have to keep it in perspective and make it second to our service to him to love even ourselves less than our service to God unfortunately we were talking about in class there as well most people don't actually love God. How can I make that statement and it be true? John chapter 14, the Bible there says, If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. What does that say if I refuse to keep his commandments and yet I say, I love you, Lord? You think he'll believe us? If we falsely say, I love you, Lord, then go live a wicked life, wicked choices? Are we putting him above all things if we do that? Or are we putting ourselves our own gratification above serving him? Ultimately, our actions, our life choices tell the tale, don't they? People that fail like that, in essence, say, I think that one way is good as another, Lord. And I'm going to live this way. And I think you should bless me anyway. Because I think that it's right. The judgment day is going to be a sad scene for people like that. It's going to be far too late for them to learn that lesson 
that God doesn't make mistakes and it's man who does. Some people fail to hate every false way that we just talked about because they hate or have no love for the truth. If you will, turn to 2 Thessalonians for just a minute. Verse 12 there. Some people cannot be taught. Some people have their minds made up already about what's right, what's wrong, what I'm going to do in my life, and you will not challenge me or put anyone else over me. The great falling away that was talked about in 2 Thessalonians 2. Even him, verse 9, whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, they didn't care what I had to say. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We get to make that choice, brethren. We can either listen to what God says and obey His commands or not. Ephesians 4.14 talks about people that are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. There are people like that. Believe anything they hear. Never stopping to investigate what they hear. Is it true? Is it really true? Should I do that? Should I act that way? Should I believe that? Ultimately, they have no respect for authority and they turn to the wrong standard. Because Colossians 3.17 for the Christian says, Whatsoever, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of or by the authority of Jesus Christ, giving thanks unto the Father by Him. Giving thanks. Some people cling to their worldly possessions too much, don't they? And they fail to hate every false way because they love something else better than they love God. The rich fool of Luke 12 was such a person. Remember his land brought forth plenty. He had so much he didn't know what to do with it. I'll tear down my barns that are existing. I'll build bigger barns. And I'll have food prepared for years and years to come. Eat, drink, and be merry was his attitude. He failed to give God glory or thanks for anything, didn't he? Forever he's in scripture as a man that made the wrong choice and God called him on it. Some even fail to hate every false way due to sinful ignorance. Maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't. I really don't care. I haven't stopped to think about it. I haven't stopped to investigate it. I haven't thought about seeking him to see what he might have to say. Remember when Paul was dealing with the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, they're on Mars Hill, where he tells them, they, and they had idols for every god you could imagine, even the unknown god that he was making known to them. And he's talking about God in verse 26. Hath made one blood of all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. God made that, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Created the earth and all that's in it, the universe that they should seek the Lord if they haply might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. He's close to every one of us. All we have to do is open our eyes, don't we? 
Remember over in Romans chapter 1, the sins of the, the Gentiles there, we were talking about later in the chapter, but earlier in that chapter of Romans chapter 1, Verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world were clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All we have to do is open our eyes and look around and we can tell that this world did not make itself. That there is life because we're alive. There is life that caused us to have life. There is power that caused us to have life. Far too many people in this world rely on the words of people. They pin their eternal hopes on what somebody says in some congregation or out on the streets or what they hear on the news versus going to God's Word to find answers for our religious questions, our moral questions, and how we should best serve Him. We have to hate every false way. We have to love less self and our families in order to serve Him properly. Which one carries the weight of law and truth and judgment? Which one carries that weight of judgment on us? Something I might say or something God says. People that blindly follow other people and never investigate what is truth. Matthew 15, 13, and 14 where He's dealing with the Pharisees. They end up both falling into the ditch. And that's nowhere we want to be, brethren. The end of ignorance. What is the end of ignorance? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And then we'll bring our lesson to a close. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. People that ignorantly reject God's word. The salvation that Christ brought. Verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's waiting for people that refuse to obey God and seek him out, find him, and see what he has to say. We, on the other hand, 1 Peter 3.15, we live every day trying to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us to anybody that might ask. We may not know the answer to every question. We don't have to. But we can study and find answers. We can ask other brethren and find answers and help us find in God's Word where authority lies. Do you hate properly as one of God's people? Properly. Do you hate every false way, which is hating all sin in its forms? And do you love yourself and even your family less than loving God and serving Him. We have to, brethren, to be pleasing to Him. If you're not a Christian, you don't have any hope. To hear, believe, repent, confess with the mouth that He is Lord, and be baptized to be forgiven of your sins. Rising to walk as a new creature. We're all in it together as Christians. Revelation 2.10, to live faithful till death. If we make mistakes and err as Christians, there's a plan for that as we pointed out, to repent and pray and live faithful till death. If there's anyone here this morning that needs to respond to the Lord's invitation, now's the time to come. Please come all together we stand and as we sing.